Listener Production. On today's edition of Footy Talk, Nick Rewalt joins us to discuss when do you start taking teams on face value. He'll also look at his own personal experiences into concussion and the uncertainty facing Paddy McCartan and what the leadership void at Hawthorne means for them going forward. And of course, always real talk, shit talk. That's all to come next on Footy Talk. Hello and welcome to Footy Talk on Tuesday, April 10. As we sit here, hope everyone enjoyed their Easter long weekend. Joey Montagna here with Nick Rewalt from the States. G'day, Rui. Good to see you. How was Easter over there, buddy? Did you have a nice time? Yeah, very nice. Thank you, Joey. Full first time, uh, well, in forever, really, that was able to actually enjoy every day of Easter without having to uh, having to go to the footy or play a game of footy. So, uh, missed certain elements of it, but it uh, was, was nice to join in on the Easter egg hunt this year. Yeah, very good. You're right. It doesn't exist in our footy world, does it? The holidays, no. I was able to, Friday, I was able to go down to Rosebud with the family and Norm, we had our big seafood and prawns and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. But then you're right, working Saturday, Sunday, Monday and back into it. But good to see you today, mate. Let's get straight into the footy because there was a big game yesterday on Easter Monday. Normally is between the Cats and the Hawks. And I'm not sure how much you saw of this game, Rui, but at halftime, Geelong were in danger of their season being over. They were two quarters away, I would say from being cooked and going zip and four. The way they played that first half against Hawthorne, they looked lethargic, they looked slow, they were getting outplayed, and it was like, oh, my gosh, is this really happening? And then all of a sudden in that third quarter, it was 10 goals to zip, dominated, and then ran out 82-point winners. What do you make of it? Are the Cats back, or is there a little bit of, oh, no, there's still some big concerns there about Geelong's ability to climb the mountain again? Yeah, I'd, I'd be concerned. I'd be concerned with the first half because when, when the game was there to be won early and you expected Geelong on, on the back of three pretty ordinary weeks to open the season to, to come out really breathing fire, there, there, there looked to be an element of underestimating the opponent, the sluggishness that you mentioned. So I'm sure Chris Scott would have given them a bit of a burst at half time and and once they, they sort of got three or four in a row, then, then I think it was as much about a, a young, inexperienced Hawthorne team just almost wilting rather than Geelong. Um, and, of course, they, they look fantastic. Don't get, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, I, I would be more focused on the first half. And I'm sure as part of their review, that's exactly what the Cats have done. Yeah. And, and they'd still be asking each other the same questions about where, where is – where is the version of us that we saw late last year that was just sublime? Yeah, I think maybe what it could do is give some confidence to players that have just been struggling for form that maybe now just feel a bit better about themselves and their game by getting on that role in the second half. They do have a relatively uh, easy draw over the next sort of two to four weeks, so I'm still just going to hold fire until we see them up against the stronger teams at the mid part of the year where they really sit. But I'll tell you what, Ruth, if it wasn't for one bloke, maybe the cat season would have been over, and that was Jeremy Cameron. I mean, his first half. He single-handedly kept it in a minute. I think they only had four goals. He kicked three of them and gave off the other one. He is, at the moment, the best player in the competition. The, the way that he's revolutionising that role as a centre-half forward who can get all the way up the ground and be involved in scoring chains and then still kick as many goals as he has, it is mighty impressive. Well, th- this has been the part of his game that I th- think those that, that follow the sort of forward craft really closely have have always known that he's been capable of, but he hasn't really tapped into it, given his athleticism properly, until the last couple of seasons. So you remember back to his his Giants days. I mean, he still had big days 
in front of the goals, but 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 he never really had the high possession, high goal games that he's all, that he's always had the capacity to be able to deliver because he's a, he's aerobic nature. So yeah, look, the evolution of his game has been great great to watch. Clearly, Geelong recruited him for the now and and to win a premiership, which is what they were ultimately able to achieve last year. But the the, the transition into him being the number one guy with with Tommy Hawkins' struggles is maybe. Maybe come even a little bit later than we thought because Tom's been so good for so, so long, but we're absolutely seeing that now. You mentioned the Hawks. I'll save it for Real Talk Shit Talk, the segment we'll do after the break. Just about the leadership void and how big of an influence you think that will be. But I want to keep moving because the other chat we have to have is St Kilda, and we're not just doing that because we're on the show, really. We're doing it because nobody had St Kilda being four and zip and half a game clear on top of the, of the ladder. We know what Ross Lyons done to that club. It's their best start since 2010 when we last played in a grand final, coincidentally against Collingwood, who they faced this weekend. When do we start taking teams on face value and looking at how legitimate they are as opposed to our preconceived perceptions on teams and what we think they should be or and, and what they really are? I think it depends, and I think it depends on not just the win-loss but actually how they're playing and, and how they're getting it done. And so, you know, you, you looked at the St Kilda team last year that were 8-3 and three and so started the season in, in pretty similar fashion. But post-round six, it was, a, it was a false economy and I think the writing was on the wall in terms of what was going to happen in the second half of the season. But so far, you, you look at the way they're playing, it, it, it stacks up, the brand of footy. It, it, is, a, it is a type of, of footy that will, that will stand you in really good stead most of the time if you continue to deliver on that sort of effort. But, I mean, I've been, I've been as shocked as the next person as to what they've been able to achieve in the four games so far this year because I just, I just didn't think the talent or, or the lack of talent, which I think is real, um, and, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll catch up at, at, at some stage. I mean, I hope they prove me wrong, but, gee, it's just such a great advertisement for, for delivering great effort consistently and, and playing a style that is au fait with, with the modern game. And, and the sides that have gone with the trend, like Geelong, like Collingwood, like, like St Kilda this year, where you try to get a, a, a fair bit of bounce off back half, well then, good luck to you because it's a, it's a bold and aggressive style of footy that, that's not just successful, it's, it's great for us because it's exciting to watch. Spot on. I think I think four weeks is now an indication you can start to take clubs on face value, what they are doing this year and not what they've done in the past because you look now, St Kilda are the number one defence in the competition and we know that stacks up and that will keep them in a lot of games. And I think they should be playing finals from here, really. I mean, they've only really got to win 10 of their next 19 and yep. there'll be 14 wins which should get them in the finals. So they've only got to go 50-50. They've got a huge game, though, against Collingwood on Sunday which will give them a real good idea of where they're at. And even if they don't win... If they are super competitive and play a good brand, then they're going to play. If they stay that way, they'll beat more teams uh, than they'll lose to. So yeah. it's fascinating to watch the Saints. They're going to integrate some talent back into their team over the next four to six weeks with Membry and King uh, and McKenzie and a few other guys that they really rate. So can't wait to watch St Kilda. But on the flip side, I want to ask you about Richmond and where you see the Tigers because they made a call this weekend to leave out your cousin Jack. They made Trent Cotchin the sub. They played a lot of kids. Are you able to transition into the next phase of your list or your the, the, the team's success while still trying to contend in a year? Because that's what it looks like to me. They are still trying to contend for the right now while they've still got Dusty and Jack and Cochin and Grimes. But at the same time, they're trying to play kids that are going to actually fill the void in the next sort of three to five years. 
Yeah, I, I think they've got no choice now and it's kind of been forced onto them a little bit with the injuries as well to, to Nan Kerbis and, and Tommy Lid. So I just wonder whether those internally would be questioning the decision for some of those older guys to to, to go one more year because they've pretty much been able to keep the entire band together. There, there, there hasn't been much transition of those older guys out of the out of the team. Usually you, you want to try and do that pretty gradually but they've 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 retained everyone that they could retain. They, they've given them, I guess, the opportunity, given their history, to load up and go again with the likes of Hopper and Taranto coming in, into the team. But at the moment, it, it looks like it's just going to be uh, too tall an order with 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 the you know the, the ins and outs and and injuries to really really critical guys. Yeah, durability was always going to be the concern. That was that was my concern with the Tigers coming into the year, and it looks like it's panning that way. Tom Lynch, with a broken foot, they think you know, up to sort of a couple of months out, and now we heard about Toby Nankervis, who will miss some time as well. So that are two pretty big outs for Richmond. But speaking of injuries, uh, we're going to get on the serious topic of a former teammate of ours and a friend in Paddy McCartan and the scenes on Saturday night. I am really interested in your take because you are someone who suffered some some serious concussions in your time and had a lot of conversations with a lot of doctors and family about what your football career would look like. What's your initial thoughts, first of all, when you saw the Paddy McCartan situation and, and what's your take on where it goes from here? Oh, I mean, initial thoughts where I felt sick. I felt worse because it wasn't a big hit. So if it's a really big, sickening clash um, that's, you know, quite graphic, it's like, oh, well, you know, that could happen to anyone, but I think it was the innocuous nature that probably caused me to to feel more concerned for Paddy because, like, and again, you, you, you're guessing, but, you know, that that, that level of contact, I'm, I'm not sure it has the same impact on, on you know, the majority of the, the competition. Um, so then, you, you know, you, you, you worry about the predisposition and all of those things, but, you know, ultimately just felt sick for Paddy and, uh, and his health for, first and foremost, and and then knowing what was going to come in terms of the commentary and 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 the discussion and and the serious nature of it, having you know played with him and and seen him go through what he went through at St Kilda, Joey. Take us into a bit more your own personal experiences of having these conversations around your future and concussions and advice from doctors, and then having your family and their concerns. Give us a bit of your personal experience into what it would look like for for Paddy over the next few weeks, because you did have to, you did go through something similar. Yeah, um, I, I guess it's the uncertainty that 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 makes it hard, is because you want definitive answers on everything. And and our lives are set up that way. So you've got to be here at a certain time and, hey, if I break my arm, it's five weeks. If I break my collarbone, it's three weeks. If I tear a hamstring, it's three weeks. So you, you get that level of definitiveness from, from your club and, and your doctors specifically around injuries. And the, the challenging nature of, of concussion is, is it's always a, well, we have to treat you clinically. We just have to see how you react. And, and in someone in Paddy's situation where there has been such a, a, a history uh, of this is I don't think he's going to be able to get anything definitive from anyone. And, and that was certainly the, the case that, that I experienced. And I know a lot of guys that have had multiple concussions of experiences, there's, there's always that element of we just don't know. And that's what creates, I think, the, the concern and the angst amongst family members, or at least that was my experience, was well, how can you go on if 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 we don't know what it's 
going to look like in 20 or 30 years or how it's going to manifest down the track. And I think that that is when we talk about the inherent risk of concussion in football, that's what we're talking about. We just don't know. And that's going to drive speculation. It's going to drive a feeling of uncertainty, uh, uh, I'm sure, for Paddy. But the one thing I think we, we can be sure of is that the Sydney Football Club are one of the great institutions in Australia. They've got a remarkable track record. They've got a remarkable culture. They, they will do the best thing for Paddy. So all of those people saying he, should, he shouldn't play, he should play, is Paddy's family, Paddy, the Sydney Football Club and the, the, the doctors concerned, um, in conjunction with the AFL, because I would expect them to get involved in some capacity, will do what's best for Paddy. Of, of that, I think we can be sure. But exactly what that is, I, you know, that's, that's where the uncertainty makes it a very, very difficult conversation. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on with, with all the, the, the clubs and, and the AFL and everyone involved will absolutely make the, the best decision. But you're right, it's the projection of not knowing what his life will look like in another 15 years. So that I get that. But we've had experience with teammates who we have seen the effects of their lives through concussions and, and what the impact it has had on, on their life. So it is really hard because it's easier to put an older head on someone and say, look, there is more to life than footy. There is more to life and those things. But as we understand, when you're in it and we, you love your footy and it's all you've ever wanted to do and clinically you might present fine, it is very hard to then think about your life in 25 years and basically just guess what it's going to look like. That, that, that's why you rely on support networks and yeah. family and, and doctors and, and football clubs um, because there is, you know, there, there's a – there's a litigious nature to this as well now. So, you know, the, 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 the de-risking, I guess, from a, from a league perspective and from a, you know, uh, an, an indemnity perspective, the, club, the clubs and the leagues potentially wanting to protect themselves. I mean, I'm, I know all of those issues are going to work their way into this conversation specifically around Paddy because of his history. But, you know, and initially it's, it's concern, for the, concern for the person and, um, just don't, you just don't know how this is going to play out, and that's what yeah. makes it tough. Yeah, and our thoughts are with Paddy and the family. Text him last night. He did say that he's feeling okay, um, and he understands. I did mention about all the media stuff because we know he's hating it, but he understands it all. But he said he's feeling okay, and we wish him well, and, and we'll let him. Do you think he plays again? Uh, I find it hard to see him playing again. For really? Him. I think so. I think so. What do you think? He's, he, this has been like he's come back from he's come back from this and worse. What's the tipping point? That's something that neither of us can answer. No, nah, that's right. So our fingers are crossed, and uh, and as you said, you'll get all the best advice. Hey, we'll move on because I want to take a break. We do have the real talk shit talk. There's a lot to get through, so uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. But if you are listening to Footy Talk and you're on the Apple Podcast or Spotify or Listener, please give us a review or rating and fire a question to Rui or anyone else. That'll be on the show this week. New episodes every day at lunchtime. Welcome back to Footy Talk, your daily dose of footy news, interviews and analysis from the world of AFL. I'm here with Nick Rewalt as we are every Tuesday. Rui, let's get into our segment, Real Talk, Shit Talk, off the back of all the commentary generally on a Monday afternoon. I'm going to start with you. We spoke about the game between the Cats and the Hawks earlier, but the leadership void now at Hawthorne on field. So no Liam Shields, Ben McAvoy, Gunston O'Meara, Mitchell from last year. In the long run, that will do the Hawks more damage than good. No, I, I don't agree with that. I, I think if you've got the right 
framework in terms of how you're building your younger players. I, I, I think the coaches can fill that void. I'm, I know on field it becomes a little bit demoralising when you see run-ons like we saw yesterday, but I, I think someone like Sam Mitchell, knowing him the way we do, how strategic he is, um, I think they would have anticipated this. They would have expected this sort of drop away. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they were being accused of manipulating it and almost sort of tanking for this. So to say that this would surprise them and they wouldn't have mitigated against the, the void of leadership and, and, and trying to make sure that it didn't impact them in the long term, I, I think they're smarter than that. I think they're a better organisation than that. So you can lose and you can still go forward as a group. And I, and I think internally, um, you know, Sam Mitchell's one of the brightest football people I know, so they'd be finding a way to, uh, to make sure that they don't uh, cruel the kids too badly. Hey, Joey, the sub rule's a bit of a mess and it's becoming pretty confusing. Even every week when you get the teams and it's he's been dropped but he ends up coming back in and playing as a sub, sh should the AFL just fix it now and make it a, a squad of 23? Yeah, that's real talk, Rui. It, it's absolutely confusing. It's a commentator's nightmare too, Rui, trying to work out who's playing and who's not. It serves no purpose really to be able to make it 22 and then bring someone in as a sub. They should just name 23. The clubs name their 23 and they don't have to declare their sub till an hour before the game like they usually do when they hand in the team sheet. So I think that's real talk. And they, the AFL could do that this week if they wanted to. Clear it up. It's a mess. The clubs don't like it. The players don't like it. The fans and the media. And I know they're little things, but things like super coach and these people, oh, that, yeah, all those sort coach. of things. It's a dog's breakfast. So <laughs> AFL come out this week. So we're going to change it. You name your 23 and name the sub an hour before a game. Good one, Rui. Hey, Cam Rayner, we saw him best on ground Thursday night against the Pies. He should never play in the back line again. Master stroke from Chris Fagan. Send him to half back. Get his confidence up. Anyone could play halfback. You could still go out and get 25 at halfback, Joey. That's how easy <laughs> halfback is. It's ridiculous. But I thought it was brilliant. Coach him. Send him back there to possession paradise. Build the boy up. Send him forward and let him win the game. So you're right. The, the move has been made now. And uh, gee whiz, it'll take something pretty drastic to send him back there. But you've always got it to go to. If he's down on form, if he's struggling, just send him back there for a quarter. Let him find a bit of footy so um, he can go forward and win the game off his own boot. Like we know he is capable of doing. Hey, Joey, we are going to be waiting another lap around the sun for the Suns to play finals again. Yeah, no, that's that's real talk. Yeah, unfortunately for them, they're just an average football team. Have been for a, a number of years and still look like they will be. And in saying that, I mean that they they – they can win games of footy. They've got talent and they beat you along the week before and they show signs, but then for whatever reason, whether it's culturally, whether it's geographically, whether it's just uh, leadership on and off the field, they just can't seem to do it week in, week out uh, or consistently enough to play finals. So, so you line through them? Yeah, for this year, yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, they need, I think they need some sort of circuit breaker and find a way to – to try again. Um, Stewie Jew's had his crack. He's been there, I think this is his sixth season, and it looks like another year of not playing finals. So uh, it's a tough one. What would you do? If you need a circuit breaker, and you're saying they need a circuit breaker at round four, you move on the coach that early? No, not, not for this year. I mean, this year they've, just, they've got to commit to what they've got, and hopefully the players and, and the coaching staff roll the sleeves up and, and just get to work and try and find a way. But for long term, 
I'd be keeping an eye on coaches like Adam Simpson or Ken Hinckley mm. and whatever happens at those clubs. Because I think now looking at what Ross has done, what Clarko's done, what Brad Scott's done, these experienced coaches bring way more to footy clubs than we realise. That, that's not just what they do on field. It's what they do for the whole club, for the environment. So maybe uh, they go and try potentially whether whenever the time is right to look at one of these experienced coaches that have had success and maybe see if they can have a crack at trying to do something about – it's not just the footy club, really. It's any sporting environment on the Gold Coast. Yeah. You know it better than anyone. I why doesn't any sporting club on the Gold Coast succeed? Well, I don't know. Well, what's your, you know, what's your gut feel? Andre Lafleur and the Gold Coast Rollers were going all right there for a while back in the 90s. But it's simply more than just Cavill <laughs> Avenue. Surely you can't, you can't yeah. blame Cavill Avenue for no, no team success. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, Joey. I think you're right. I think culturally, if you can if you can get that right, well, then it, it, it fixes all other, other issues. But, gee, how, how much the AFL would have loved for, for one of Clarkson or Lyon or Brad Scott, for that matter, to um to end up on the Gold Coast, given the results that they're having now at their respective footy clubs. Just one quick one. I'm speaking about Alistair Clarkson, and I reckon I think you, I know where you go this one. His decision to sub out Ben Cunnington is excellent for the culture of the Kangaroos. Oh, shooting Bambi, I don't know. It's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a big call, but a calculated one. Look, I I, th- I think Clarko is a very emotionally intelligent man, um, and so he would have. He would have read Ben Cunnington and realised that he's the sort of character, and we know what tremendous character he has, that, that could take that sort of move from the coach really well and, and he wouldn't infect the playing group with a with a sour sort of attitude. So I think Clarko would have weighed that up. And what it does do is it just it just sets a, a standard and an accountability around it doesn't matter who you are, we're, we're all going to be held accountable to the to the same standard. And it wasn't – I don't think it was an effort-related thing. It was just a productivity thing. And, um, a, again, a, a move that I don't think the young Kangaroos players would have been exposed to, but um, it's, a, it's a great educational piece for them. And I think um, Clarko picked, a, picked a, a sensible target in someone with great character who's the ultimate team man in Ben Cunnington. Uh, very good, as always. Rui, love it. And, of course, if you do have a question for us, you hit us up on Instagram at footytalk underscore pod, TikTok at footytalkpod. Tomorrow, Mitch Robinson will be chatting with the Brizzy Boys, so looking forward yeah. to that one on Footy Talk. Thank you for your time, Rui. We'll do it again next Tuesday. Listener.